This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello, and thanks for listening to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. In just a few minutes, we'll get our podcast started. It will be full of love and hate and harsh words because we'll be talking about the film Love Actually. I have a couple of lovely and talented guests with me that I will introduce to you in just a moment. But first, I want to plug myself. I have a new comedy album out called Flawfest. So if you enjoy hearing me talk, you can listen to my album Flawfest. You can buy it on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And if you want to actually physically look at me while I'm saying things into a microphone, I have a couple of shows coming up. I have a New Year's show in Minneapolis, and I'll be doing a couple of shows at the San Francisco Sketchfest in January. So you can also find out about those on josephscrimshaw.com. You can find out more than you would ever want to know about me on josephscrimshaw.com. But now, love actually. It's my lovely and talented guest. Uh, first, uh, Mr. Jim Robinson. Jim, can you uh, introduce yourself to those of us who might not know you? Uh, <laughs> and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm Jim Robinson, and I um, am a local sketch comedian and improviser, and I do go to the movies. I used to go a lot more, and that's when I saw Love Actually, when it first came out. Um, and I, I know Joseph because I was in his Adventures in Mating show that's right, for as, years. The, as the waiter. And, <laughs> and you can see pictures of Jim yes, on my website. Right. <laughs> I'm traumatized. But anyway, it's very nice to be here. Excellent. Uh, and my next guest is Jody Whirl. Jody, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I am a public librarian, and I'm starting to get into improv. I'm part of a group called Not Your Mom. We're all women of a certain <laughs> age, and we assure you that we are not your mothers. Um, I discovered love, actually, in a very organic way. I just watch anything that Hugh Jackman is in. And the fact that it also had Colin Firth was just sort of a double whammy for me. Hugh Jackman? Or Hugh Grant? Oh, Hugh Grant. See, but I, it's, yeah, for a second there, I thought, yes. I have not seen the correct version of Love Actually with Wolverine <laughs> in it, which would be that lovely. That would be fascinating, actually. <laughs> it would be a better movie. That's I, for sure. Really? I think so. So, yeah, so that's, we're going to get, we'll yeah. just get into the, the yes. love and the hate. Uh, I think you guys are both of reasonable opinion, but mm-hmm. Jody, you enjoy the movie. In mm-hmm. Jim, it made you violently angry when you first saw it, right? <laughs> I really didn't like it, you know, I, but I, I also don't want to come off as a misanthrope, but I know I didn't like it. No, that's fine. That's fine. You're, you're not alone. I, uh, when I wanted to do the podcast, I put on my Facebook page that I, I was looking for opinions about this film, and I got a bunch of really strong reactions. I'm going to read a couple of them. Uh, one person said, I hate, 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 all in all caps, love actually. It makes me want to kill everyone, pretty much. Another person said, I fucking love that movie enough that I'd almost consider flying to Minneapolis to defend it. Then another person said, oh god, I fucking hate that horrible movie, ham-fisted garbage, followed immediately by, I fucking love that fucking movie so much, in all caps. Uh, another friend said, I once made barfy noises about love actually for so long that I made myself laugh. This is this is one of the most intense reactions. I may not be able to love a man who doesn't like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, this is this is probably my favorite because it kind of gets into that whole subjective versus objective issue. I don't hate it, but it is a terrible movie. <laughs> Well, and I would argue that it's a great movie because it juggled so many storylines and yet didn't lose the threats and managed to tie things up in such a tidy Christmas package. A nice little, yes, a package is probably the most appropriate for that film. So uh, so what is your, your basic reaction? Why do you like it, Jody? And then, Jim, why did it make you angry? So, Jody, why, why did you like it when you initially watched it? I liked it because it showed different stages of love stories. Mm-hmm. Um, there were the two people first meeting each other, the body doubles in the film. Um, and that was just a very, very sweet love story, even though it was so blatant. Um, <laughs> and it also showed the end of a marriage or at least a crossroads in a marriage. Yes. The possible end of a marriage. Yes, exactly. Um, I just liked the fact that there was all these different types of love that were explored in the film. Although I was kind of disappointed that it stuck so strictly to romantic love. I wish it would oh, have that's... explored more family and um, and friendships. Oh, it, I see. Did. I think that's the reason that a lot of people do like it is they they see kind of underneath the romance story uh, 
like for example the Liam Neeson in uh, his and Karen yeah yeah it's that that story is ostensibly about love in terms of what it's moving forward but you know we get to spend a lot of time with this dad and his his stepkid so that we see this sort of familial yeah. love I think is the argument of some people who like the film but what made it what made you mad Jim and I, Jody I just met you so I hope this doesn't interfere with our burgeoning friendship <laughs> but uh no I, I I thought it apart from some moments I thought the Emma Thompson Alan Rickman relationship was was great and I love Colin Firth and um I liked everybody in it but it, it, it just rang false. And it, it was like when you go to a movie where people, there's that movie called It's Complicated with Meryl Streep and um, Alec Baldwin. And she's a baker and she lives in Santa Barbara in this hacienda. It's like, uh-huh. but you're a baker. So in real <laughs> life, you should be living in an apartment or you should, you know, you should have two jobs. And in this movie, it seemed like so many of the situations, um, the, the, the basic practical matters were fake. They just, they didn't work. Like, and I, I thought it, it could have been funny to see the two body doubles in the, in the porn industry, but in reality, they'd probably be, you know, hard, broken down, drug abusing people that were just struggling to stay alive. Right. Not so, quaint British folk. Right. I'm sorry to say this to you, Jody. And also when Colin Firth <laughs> fell in love with the woman, how can you fall in love with somebody when you don't speak the same language? I mean, he was, it was just a narcissistic mirror of himself that he was seeing. So I'm hearing you say two things that you have reactions to minor details that are inaccurate, like moments of fancy, like just deciding to make somebody not a drug addict or live in a nicer house. But then there's also this sort of, uh, you have issues that get to sort of the core of what love is. Like you can't fall in love with someone when you can't communicate with them. I, uh, yeah, that's yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, I, 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 it, it was one of those movies. I feel so I feel so awkward saying this in front of you because I hope I'm not hurting you. It's okay. It's just like the film. It's kind of awkward, yeah. but I think it will end up beautiful in the end. Are you married? Anyway, because <laughs> I'm gay. So anyway, um, the uh, um, it was the thing that, that drove drove me crazy about it. It was like when people talk about older people falling in love, and they say, "Oh, how cute." And that, that drives me crazy right. because you're talking about complicated people and love is never, never, love is never straightforward. It's never easy. I mean, it's always filled with things like, you know, disappointment and, and expectation and hurt and fear, which is why I think that the Emma Thompson story in that movie worked so beautifully, mm-hmm. but the rest of it was just kind of superficial. So and you would like it if it was just... Pain, actually. Pain, actually. Yeah. <laughs> or ambivalence, actually. Ambivalence, or, actually. Know. Well, if it's any reassurance, Jim... I actually actively dislike the Colin Firth storyline too, and he even got wet, and I, I still didn't. I still couldn't embrace it, yeah. and it, for much the same reason. That one was too much of a fairy tale. Um, I liked the elements of thorny pain that were in some of the other storylines, and having watched the director's uh, commentary, I must clarify: they are not in the porn industry. That is actually just a very racy film that they're being body doubles for. Okay, and what kind of film is it like? Some some European remains art. of the day part two. Okay, so, okay, but I I think a lot of people would argue that if you need to listen to the director's commentary to make sense of it to justify it, that perhaps there's uh, yeah. Just well, just for full clarity's sake, I like the film. I have mm-hmm. a, like a lot of problems with it, in, in increasing problems as I watch it. But it's also kind of got a special place. In my heart and in my relationship with my wife, we watched it together very early on in our relationship when she was in England and I was not. And she came home and she actually brought a British disc home and we had to watch it on her computer that was set up to play things, discs from England at the time. So I think a lot of that sort of like that that pain of being away and that magic of, you know, things can work out even when it seems impossible and insane. I think that that made me like the film a lot more, but I do have plenty of problems with it. As well, which I'm sure will come up. Okay, so I have some specific questions okay. uh, for you guys. Um, the film, we already touched on this, the film kind of exists in a world where people can fall in love suddenly. Like, I think almost like a science fiction story where you just accept that there can be spaceships. You kind of have to accept that people fall in love suddenly in this universe. Do you think that has any basis in reality? Jody? do you think people can just fall in love suddenly? I think that there's such a thing as instant attraction, um, but 
I do believe that you need time to actually explore that to figure out if you're going to fall in love with somebody. The physical attraction doesn't always last. So Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> I do speak from experience. Most of us do. So, um, And I think... Uh, I think that's why Mia bugs me so much because she was so manipulative with that physical yeah. aspect of things. Mia is the one who uh, the wants to have an affair with Alan Rickman um, right. for no explored reason. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that has started to bother me more and more as I watch it, that she she is just there to break Emma Thompson's heart <laughs> and make Alan Rickman be a dick. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Uh, and yeah, it would be great if she actually had a character motivation. Yeah. Do I think, so do I think people can fall in love at first sight? Yeah. Do you think that's at all possible in the real world? Um, I know that just lo- looking blankly on the radio doesn't work. The radio. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a photograph of this? Um, um, oh, I, it's going to be cute when you fall in love. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I, I would say, I would say, a, a qualified no, because I do think you can. I think you can see somebody and hear the tone of their voice and instantly feel at peace and at home. And I do think that's a very powerful mm-hmm. thing. And I do think that wonderful things can be built off of that. But I would say within three or four months, reality comes in and then you have to decide. And then it's a choice and you have to decide whether you're willing to put up with all the confusion and the, and the, the, the hard stuff that, that relationships bring up. Yeah. And yeah. so mm-hmm. love at first sight, I know. I think you can be infatuated and attracted and you can recognize a similarity at first sight. But the similarity that you also recognize, it has a flip side that always comes back to bite you. Yeah. And... And I know that's asking a lot out of a romantic comedy, but if that had even been hinted at, that would have been great. Yeah, but, but it it isn't hinted at. It is hinted that well, we see one month later with Colin Firth and Aurelia, I, th- I believe is her mm-hmm. name, that yeah. they're still happy a month later, which I buy that. I buy that. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. You think yeah. They, the relationship would be tanking a month in? If they can't talk to each other, I think it has a six-week. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, my next question is, what is the deal with the turtlenecks? Do you guys have a theory on why the film is absolutely full of turtlenecks? This is a thing the internet has started to notice. Know there is a BuzzFeed list of, I believe, the 30 top turtlenecks in Love Actually or something like that. It was one of the questions in the BuzzFeed meme about which character you are. What turtleneck would you wear? Um, I... Personally theorized it was December, November, and it was cold, and people wore turtlenecks. That's interesting. I also think... <laughs> <laughs> I hate turtlenecks. I just hate them. I can't wear them. I don't like the way they look, unless they're, unless they're used specifically for a character. And I think that turtlenecks, this is just off the top of my head, mm-hmm. turtlenecks imply harmlessness. And that's maybe what bothers me so much about this movie, is that they're, the, except for the Emma Thompson story... The repercussions of what these people do are, are, are not explored or are really even considered. And so you can wear a turtleneck and be kind of harmless. Or <laughs> Like with and Liam Neeson, does he wear a turtleneck in this movie? Uh, I believe yeah. almost every character does. I, that's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. But it turned Liam Neeson into this kind of harmless doctor, not Dr. Phil, who was guy Phil Donahue. Okay. This, kind of, <laughs> this kind of saintly, all-nurturing you know, loving man. And I, again, I don't think people are that way. I really don't. No, that's... I I think that they should, they should, they shouldn't wear turtlenecks. So this, I'm really enjoying seeing this through your eyes and your, your perception is that these people are basically wearing turtlenecks as masks to cover their threatening necks. Yes. To appear harmless. Was it to hide the jugular? (laughs) That's good. I I buy that. But don't you think, black turtlenecks imply evil perhaps but when anybody else is wearing a white turtleneck or any kind of sweater Mm -hmm. then they're then they're they're seen in my opinion as this kind of andy williams mr rogers yes although i give mr rogers a break on this but (laughs) but don't you i don't know the thing that one of the things that bothers me about this movie and i'm talking about it is that they're not for the most part they're not real people and they're seen as being you know they're they're inhabiting characteristics rather than real personalities, right? Except for Emma Thompson, <laughs> I love her. I can just take the phrase "except Emma Thompson" 
And I can go through the podcast and just add that to the end of every sentence. <laughs> that'd be, because that'd be fine with me. I think most people would agree with that. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things, if you watch the film with a turtleneck perspective, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just watching for the turtlenecks, there's this great moment where you think, ah, oh, that, that guy's not wearing a turtleneck, the Andrew Garfield character. And he suddenly zips it up right when he's like feeling at his most emotional and it becomes a turtleneck. Oh, Interesting. It's, yeah. it's as though he's about to do something violent and he needs to hide mm-hmm. his little, <laughs> yeah. his throat intense behind wow. his little turtleneck disguise. I can see the scene in my head now. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's right when he storms out of his little apartment there. Um, okay, so my next question is, what is what is wrong with Colin Firth's character that he is only making one typewritten copy of his script? <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have psychoanalysis of that? Do you think it is meaningful? I think he's a crap writer, actually, based on... <laughs> What I could pick up from context. Uh, and he wrote thrillers. So yeah. maybe he was just trying to have that little edge of adrenaline for himself as he wrote, thinking that, oh, my my manuscript could fly into a lake. <laughs> and then I will fall in love. So, yeah, obviously the, the pawn scene is continuing callback to Pride and Prejudice, right? Yeah. So do you guys, I think you guys are both fans of of. The Pride and Prejudice, Are right? You? Yes. Yeah, okay then. Good. I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the 1995 yes. adaptation. Well, and he also got wet in Bridget Jones' diary. Right, but it's all just, it's ripples in the pond, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> A little too on the nose, but uh, but it's all rippling out from yes. the, the pond scene in Pride and Prejudice. So did you do you guys enjoy it in Love Ashley specifically when Colin Firth goes in the pond and do you enjoy it on a meta level? For me, it was very meta. So, yeah. And actually, the whole comment, oh my God, are there eels? Because it turns out he was actually stung by something when he was kneeling in the pond. Oh, really? So, oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. That, was that See, added that's in? why you need to listen to the director's commentary. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I enjoyed it very much on a meta level. I thought as a character ploy, it was way too shallow i like i said that whole storyline didn't grip me the way the others did yeah how do you feel about the pond dive i thought that yeah i enjoyed that i thought that was funny and i and i think colin firth is amazing and and you know he's a he but but again mm-hmm. why would he only have one copy of the manuscript and he's an attractive man mm-hmm. colin firth yes i mean he's he has you know 40 or i guess it'd be 55 percent of the population in love with him <laughs> and and why would he be, I don't think somebody that attractive would be that vulnerable at that age. And so maybe having one copy of the script shows that he how vulnerable he is, that you know everything can be washed away in just a wind mm. swept. So that's like, it, that is a manifestation of his character, yes. that he feels impermanent. Yes, but, but I also think if Colin Firth existed in real life, or if that character, I guess Colin Firth does exist in real life, <laughs> but if that character exists in real life... Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> he would he would know how attractive he is. He would know he would he would know his power. Well, Jim, I think you're an, I think you're an attractive man. Oh, no. But do you feel that way? <laughs> what I I um, Do you feel like you're an attractive man, Jim? Um at my age? Yeah. Um I think I'm holding it together at my age. <laughs> but yeah. I also but I've also I also think that How do I say this? First of all, I would never presume to be Colin Firth. <laughs> but you know, guys... There's that, a pond across from my house where we're recording. <laughs> which I can... tend to slip into. <laughs> and, um, but I, I do think that people like... I, I think he's he's a movie star, attractive guy, right. as a movie star. Um, and it, it bothers me when really, really attractive people play those kind of hurt, lost lamb types. Right. Because in real life, people that are that good-looking... They also know the power they have, at least on some level. Does that make any sense? You look at me mm-hmm. skeptically, but and I wish that they would. I wish that they had at least hinted at that or shown that, of course, he, you know, of course, Colin Firth could have anybody he wants, and so for him to be this kind of hapless, they should have played it differently. Yeah, well, his wife cheats on him with his brother. Well, his at girlfriend the beginning. cheats on him with his brother. Oh, it's uh, uh, director's very... commentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent. Uh, but someone close to him has just has just hurt him, right? So, what? Where's the real rage and the you know the 
where's the using somebody else to get back, you know, in some sort of way? I yeah, where there's it. seven stages of grief or however yeah. many stages of grief there are. You're right. It was like he his brother cheated on him, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think any relationship that he would develop after something as awful as that would have to be maybe on an unconscious level, but just deeply retaliatory. And, <laughs> and I don't think that happened in that movie. So you think he, in reality, he's revenge marrying Aurelia? Yes, of course. This is somebody who can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> no, she can, so she perf- can speak, but they but don't not understand one another, right? right? So this is the perfect relationship. Because now he's with somebody who can't, he doesn't know what she's saying, and he doesn't care what she's saying. She's just an object to get help him get over what happened to him. Oh, and this it, is really dark. Yes, it is. And so that's... I'm well, I will tell you. I will tell you my problem with the pawn scene. Okay, is that it's one of the there are only there are a few shots in the film that I do think are just plain old objectification. There's that long lingering shot of her stripping down to her uh, underwear to jump into the pond. They had a 45 minute conversation about what color her underwear should be. Well, of director's course commentary. Of course, they did. Yeah. So a it, a it's objectification just from the audience perspective. Uh, B it's objectification from his perspective where he's kind of interested in her, and then she, he sees her body. Mm-hmm. And but the thing that really bothers me is if it, they're going to go to this Darcy well of throwing <laughs> Colin Firth in the pond, we should have got some shots of him dripping as he came out with his <laughs> shirt, you know, all manly and beautiful and whatnot. Right? Yeah. Yes. Can we all agree on that? Yes. Full-heartedly. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so my next question is, I feel like there are a lot of like really good, beautiful moments of swearing in the film. How do you guys feel about that? That's one of the things that I like the most about the film. Having, and one of the things that feels honest. Yeah. Having the 10-year-old say, let's go get the shit kicked out of us by love was my high point in the movie. <laughs> I loved that. Did the swearing make it more real for you or was it all just turtlenecks and lies? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't remember the swearing that much I'm sorry to say but I but you know when I think about it and I dredge it up <laughs> um, it seemed British to me that's all you know because they British people can swear in ways that that, that are funny and, you know I, what I mean? think it is a part of their humor yeah. and I think it's a part of what I like about Richard Curtis in a specific kind of British sensibility of that mm-hmm. using swearing to sort of break down the, the artifice of culture. And he mm-hmm. d- does that a lot in particular with the uh, prime minister mm-hmm. relationship uh, with the... With Natalie. With Natalie, that, that's mm-hmm. her name. Um, of using a lot of swearing from her to make her seem like a real human, a relatable human being. Jim has... He paused. <laughs> Every once in a while, there's Jim can make a face that looks like Kermit the Muppet's upset face, where the lips become very tight. I guess I just didn't, I didn't feel like very many of the people were, were real. And so, again, I'm just talking off the top of my head. Oh, no. But the, to then to so use swearing to make somebody seem real just seems kind of cheap. And can, can I add, can I, mm-hmm. am I getting ahead of myself when mm-hmm. I the Joni Mitchell thing? Mm-hmm. Because that was a detail, and I love Emma Thompson, mm-hmm. but that was a detail that seemed just wedged in there to make it her seem it, it was it was a detail that was used to create a character um, that just seemed kind of wedged on top when she said that Joni Mitchell taught her how to be a woman is that what she said taught <laughs> your your cold english wife how to feel was the first she used yes. to what i heard was woman <laughs> you heard Joni Mitchell yeah. took me by the hand and yes. taught me the ways of women yes. <laughs> I'm a huge, I'm a huge Joni Mitchell fan. Right, I, mean, I, I have I own every single album she's ever made, and I can tell you the sequences of the songs, and you know I can I can recite the lyrics, like because somebody you know because um, she taught me how to feel. <laughs> Did she? <laughs> kind of. So maybe my point is bad, but there was something about that. I felt like they were just using Joni Mitchell as like, like a, a, a hieroglyphic or something to say this is this is who this woman is, rather than let her show it. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so when and I could hear the whole audience. I saw it in in um, Highland Park, which is you know Joni Mitchell Central, because it's all these overly educated, worried people who don't have that much to worry about. <laughs> and I heard the whole audience kind of go, "Oh!" And it made me so mad. It was like, "No, make her work for this." I think she does. I think there are scenes where where we see what her relationship is with her family and with her husband. Um, but I'm interested in the Joni Mitchell thing. Do you think you would have felt that way if they had used a different 
artist to make that same point well, if it was Elvis Presley. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing I, I guess the thing about Johnny Mitchell is Johnny Mitchell. I don't think she ever does anything that's like love. Actually, I think that her songs are. She always exposes herself as being. She, she in every song, it's never just a flat out love song. I mean, she, when she sings a love song, she also shows or she writes a love song. She writes about how she's petty and jealous and angry and difficult, and she loves this person. There's going to be a huge cost to loving somebody, and it's probably going to kill her, or, or she's going to leave, or he's going to leave, or they're going to, you know, something's going to happen. And I think that's what makes her so brilliant. And so then to use her in a, in a movie that I think shirked those responsibilities, it, it bothered me. Yeah. Here's what bothered me most about that subplot and I, uh, is... If my wife tells me I'm a huge fan of a musician, I assume that she actually owns <laughs> the musician's most popular song. So to me, like in a sort of petty Amazon wish list kind of way, like that's the worst betrayal. Yeah. It's a random Joni Mitchell CD. I think it's like best. Which you saw the cover, so you probably know which. I think it was the. Um, I think it was her both sides now, wasn't it? The um, yeah, the the, 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 um, the orchestral remix. version yeah. of all of her old songs, which is nice. Like, which is a good, that's a, if it was Both Sides Now, and I think it was, that's one where they had A Case of You and the song Both Sides Now mixed in with um, standards. Okay. And, um, and that's, a, that's a great album. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm looking at you for approval. But it's, so, Jody, what, what are your thoughts on that song? My thoughts are, you're juggling eight storylines. He used music as shortcuts. Yeah. I mean, he had to use songs to get the audience from point A to point B quickly because we couldn't see some of the in-between bits. And so that was perhaps one of the heavier-handed instances of his using music as a shortcut. But, oh, my God, it was beautifully handled by the actress. Yeah, I, yes. think, <clears throat> I think that's a, a big thing in the debate about Love Actually is yeah. the challenge of the film is, of course, we're not. We don't have time to see the seven stages of grief from yeah. Colin Firth, even though we would like to. So... He is going to use uh, these touchpoint signifiers. And then the question is, are they effective to you or not? Because they mm-hmm. are very quick, very mm-hmm. manipulative. And I don't think in art, manipulation is always bad. It's it's mm-hmm. what storytelling right. is up to a point. Um, and, and on a more, a more positive note, do you, isn't Bill Nighy awesome? Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's really, that's, all, that's the reason I want to do the podcast, to have people verify that Bill Nighy is awesome. Um, do you guys think that Andrew Lincoln's character in Love Actually is the same character as he plays on Walking Dead? I've never mm. seen Walking Dead. <gasps> he, I know. He fights Shocking. the zombies. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he starts out as an unhappily married man, although he doesn't know that they're unhappily married. Um... I could see it evolving to that, actually. <laughs> totally. I could I could see him marrying someone and they start out with the best of intentions and then they drift apart and he's unaware because he loves being in love. Is there any scene? I've only watched the first season of Walking so, Dead, so is there any scene in Walking Dead where he tells a zombie how he feels with cue cards? <laughs> no, unfortunately. I am going to kill you. <laughs> okay, so Jim is also, he's once again making the Kermit face. So how do you feel about the cue card I scene? I hate that. I hate <laughs> it. I hate it. I hate it. I okay. hate it. I uh, hate it. Sorry. Uh, tell me. That was the seven stages of hate? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it seems, oh, it, it, it's based on the Bob Dylan. Um, uh, One would assume. Yeah. And again, it just seems like an easy way to make more out of something that isn't very much. You mean the actual cue? Is it yes. what's expressed on the cue cards or the use the of the, use cue, of the cards? cue cards? Okay. Because it just seems it seems like like he it seems too manipulative, and it seems like the filmmaker isn't doing his work. <laughs> Is it the so it's just the cue cards? It's not the dubious morality of the the moment of trying to express to your best friend's wife that you're in love with her. Yeah, but no, you'll I let can, it go. <laughs> I can I can totally understand that. Okay, so you like that? I love that. That is a fascinating situation and that yeah. relationship I think is, mm-hmm. is really interesting I think it is one of the most tear inducing scenes yeah. I think it is very raw yes but using it, it just watching him do the, the cue card thing totally took me out of it I and I and I I love the fact that you can walk that line because I don't know if it's the right thing to tell someone who's about to get married that you're still in love with them unless yeah. you really plan on doing like the, the graduate and running off with her and 
you know, or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Like if, unless you're willing to really go the distance, then maybe you shouldn't say it. Yeah. You know? I think the thing that's powerful uh, for some people about it, I mean, some people see it and it's just dreck and annoying and that, but I think for some people that I think it is a moment that captures that universal thing of, I just need to say something. I just mm-hmm. need to get this off my chest. And I kind of like the moral ambiguity of like, it's maybe not fair to uh, Kira Knightley's character. It's certainly not fair to her husband and his best friend, well, I don't think. But that sense. sort of power of, I need to say this. Well, it makes sense because he never had a chance to say it. She stumbles on his secret. All she knows is there's this guy who's her husband's best friend and he avoids her like the plague. And she thinks that he hates her. And then she realizes, oh, my God, based on this video montage, he's stalking me. I mean, (laughs) um, and I think that is normal human need is you have to say something so that it's out there. You get the response one way or the other, and then you can let it go and move on. I think it was really important for their friendship to have a chance for him to actually say it to her face to face. Yeah. Here's the thing that bothers me about the cue cards is not the actual using it as a form of communication. This is very much like my Joni Mitchell CD bitch. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes on stage when I'm reading a story with paper, I like throwing the pages. It's like, it's yeah. great fun. It takes a while to pick them up. <laughs> he, he picks up those cue cards amazingly fast. If you did that in real life, and I want people to know this in case they're considering doing this, <laughs> what would happen is you would express this beautiful emotion... And then you would spend at least a full minute picking all of the cue cards up from the ground and gathering them. Bent over with your... Bent yeah. over. Like, <laughs> to me, you are perfect. Now look at my ass for a minute yeah. while I pick up these cue cards. Well, and my one pet peeve with it is he brought his boombox with an orchestral arrangement and it's carolers at the door. That was what totally took me out of the reality <laughs> of the scene. It's like, yeah, I could see him not being able to verbally say the words, having to write them out for her. But... Have carolers record some people on a street corner. Yeah, play yeah, that. Should have paid, you know, brought some hobos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to actually yeah, you guys sing. stand here off to the side while I do this thing. Some, is it is it okay to make it like a, to compare this with another moment though in another sure. movie? Because um, did you ever see the movie Nashville? Yeah, oh, I love that movie. And when um, Keith Carradine is singing um, that horrible song "I'm Easy." And all the women in the audience think he's singing it to them, but only Lily Tomlin realizes it's actually for her. And the the have you ever seen that scene? No, I haven't. The and the camera stays on Lily Tomlin's face, and when she realizes what's actually happening, she doesn't say anything, she doesn't do anything, but he captures it all in that that moment. And that's a beautiful moment because she mm-hmm. it's kind of the same. She realizes that she's married to someone that she doesn't particularly love, but she there's nothing she can do about Keith Carradine, even though she loves him back. And it was so beautifully done, and it wasn't, it wasn't done in kind of an obvious way. And I think this was, to me, it felt kind of obvious. And I hate to say this, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It felt kind of cheap to me. Sorry. You didn't, you're here to, your, your role today is to hate love, actually. <laughs> so feel free to be loud and proud. Like <laughs> that time it. earlier when you said hate seven yes. times in a row. <laughs> I was younger when I said that. I, I, yeah. Are you are you comfortable with your attractiveness now that you're a little older? <laughs> um, somebody told me that my haircut was too short yesterday. So what asshole told you that? Uh, it was somebody we both know, and it was it was it was done because I I kind of kept saying it's too short, it's too short, and finally and she said, yeah, it's a little bit too short. <laughs> okay. Uh, Thank you, actually. I feel so much better to know that guys go through those kind of things too. Yeah, absolutely. I invited okay. the criticism and then was hurt. Okay. By it, so. <laughs> Cue cards next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your hair is too short. One cue card. See, but I would, I would you know, get a paper cut as I was whipping it across my face. <laughs> Blood in my Blood. eyes. Yeah. To me, you are perfect. Yeah. I'm bleeding. Yeah. Uh, so here are some specific questions uh, about some, I think, some scenes that we haven't covered too much um, from the internet. Uh, one, of, one of our friends said, why are all the American girls in Green Bay dressed as cowboy hookers? <laughs> <laughs> I realize America's large and confusing, but, you know, read a book or something. Uh, so this is the subplot of Colin believing he can have plenty of sex in America just based on a British accent. So how do we feel about this? Oh, I hate that so much. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me why you hate that. Um, well, it implies that we're easy. And taking a stance for all of American womanhood, I'd like to say that we're not that easy. So... <laughs> um, 
Although, again, the director's cut of the... (laughs) It turns out that the actor actually gave his paycheck back for that day because he enjoyed being undressed by three beautiful women for an entire shoot. Okay, so... so, so, Does that uh, make it better or worse? For me, that actually makes makes it worse. Creepier, right? Well, I'm a feminist, and so part of my filter watching it recently was to try and figure out you know, where's the male gaze going? And that was so blatantly objectifying women. They were just cupid doll props. Um, and the same thing with Mia, for that matter. I mean, oh, yeah. They, they showed a lot of skin there, too. Yes, there's that horrible shot where she spreads her legs just a little bit. Yep. As if we didn't understand that she was hitting on Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. I like to think that they realized we have given her no motivation. Yeah. Why is she so into Alan Rickman? <laughs> we need to help that with a little leg spread, which is just horrible. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that whole Colin subplot is, it feels to me like a, we want a lighter thing. We're talking about uh, some heavier mm-hmm. things and different kinds of love, and we want something kind of light and funny, and then it's, the the punchline just happens to be, mm-hmm. yes, American girls will immediately have sex with you en masse. In Wisconsin. Yes. So maybe only talking about Wisconsin girls uh, if you have a British accent. Mm-hmm. So how did you feel about that scene? Do you, did you even remember it or yeah, did you wipe it, it away? Yeah. No, no, I remember it. Um, I do think accents go a long, long way, you know. So that, that felt right to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I dated somebody who had a South African accent. Um, and man, that, 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 that was... And uh. it was But it wasn't a... Like a Dutch Afrikaans accent, it was a mm-hmm. British South African. I mean, that was that that took care of everything. That was great. <laughs> but um, but again, I mean, it was one of those. There's so many little details in this movie that, that I think are either too obvious or they're they're fake, they're false. And so I, it, so I was watching it. That it didn't bother me because that seemed so over the top. But it but it, it also felt like oh the 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 filmmaker wants us to have a little bit of relief. Everything seemed kind of intended to create. A really specific reaction. It didn't give us any room to have our own reaction. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think so, um, I think there's some ambiguity in some of the storylines, but I think a lot of the things are very delineated in terms of like this is supposed to be moving, and this is really mm-hmm. for the most part just comedy. And, and well, and I would like to point out there's a little bit of nationalistic love going through the film, oh yeah, and it's it was a very gentle form of American bashing, and I'm. Go for it. Bash Americans. Mr. <laughs> Prime Minister and with this storyline about American women dressing trashy and being easy. But, um, but acknowledge that you're doing that. So yeah. to specifically yeah. address this question, it, you know, we've talked about the scene, but uh, the, the question from the Internet was, why are they dressed as cowboy hookers? <laughs> if you guys were remaking the film and we're going to, to dress Americans in the most insulting way, how would you... <laughs> Uh, dress up girls in Wisconsin bar to be the most <laughs> insulting to America. Do you think cowboy hookers is the best we can do? It translates across national and international <laughs> boundaries. But don't you think it would be sweatshirts with um, like cartoon figures on them? You know what I mean? Yes. Or, I mean, I think that in like cheese head hats, right? For yeah, yeah the football. <laughs> And having my parents come from Wisconsin means that, no, 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 sweatshirts are not sexy because we're still going for sexy, right? Well, yeah, sure. Well, from, well, from your point, if, if the point is to poke fun at America. Yeah. They would wear a lot of crosses. <laughs> <laughs> and probably not much else because you have that juxtaposition of spandex and crosses. Well, th- see, now that would get to an actual point of observation or parody about parts of the Midwest being very conservative religiously and then people wanting to find a release such as sudden orgy with cute British guy. And it was winter. I mean, you you do strange things for warmth. (laughs) Yeah. But I always think of people, particularly, and I, I, I love the Midwest. I do. But don't you think that people, they don't dress trashy here. They dress just sort of sloppy here. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Look what I'm wearing. Yes. I mean, you yeah. can't see this on the podcast, but people dress, I think, for comfort. We all look like shit. Yeah. Yeah, right now. Yeah. And yeah, the well, three of know, us look, look like big piles of oh, oh, thank you. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> and I think that, that that would have made more sense. Yeah. You know, just kind of just wearing 
I think people wear a lot of children. Adults wear a lot of children's clothes here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like big, like, puffy sweater, big puffy sweatshirts that are that are, that are bright pink or. I don't want to. I don't want to say this, um, but I, I I work at a, at a at a school here in the Midwest. Right. And everybody dresses, myself included, except for I wear a tie. But we all dress <laughs> like we're toddlers. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I think because it's so cold. safety helmets. <laughs> yeah. But it's just it's so cold and everything gets salty and right. You know, there's the the, mm-hmm. the, the, the slop from the snow. And so is, I think that would yeah. have made more sense. It's hard to be very slick and yeah. put together in the winter because you, you just can't. you have to wear layers and you yeah. have to be disheveled when right. you take them all off. So I think that would have been it would have made more sense. It would have been more real. If that had happened. In I think Curtis just kind of randomly put his finger on a map of the United States and picked Wisconsin without knowing anything about Wisconsin or the climate yeah. or, or or love. <laughs> okay, so uh, I differ on that. Okay. Uh, okay, so this is this is a huge criticism that comes up uh, a lot. Uh, every time the Hugh Grant storyline is happening, I want to throw a shoe. If they wanted to do a story with a plump lady, there are more than enough of us running around who'd have been willing to take one for the team and pretend Hugh Grant was in love with us for science. Uh, so I think that is a, a great, <laughs> funny way to say, uh, to have the discussion about the subplot that Natalie's character is overweight. How do you guys mm-hmm. feel about that storyline or that element of the storyline that, well, I, I was talking with uh, my wife, Sarah, when we were watching it. Mm-hmm. I feel like the film is trying, you might have the answer from the director's commentary. <laughs> I feel like the film is trying to bring up that some people view her as overweight and then have other characters say, no, that's ridiculous. But the overall effect of the film is that people walk away from it feeling like the film called her overweight. How do you feel about that, Jody? I would agree with that. Um, the women especially were harsh critics of yeah. her shape. Um, and again, as... As a curvy woman myself and a feminist, that was one of the things that I don't like. Although the fact that David, the character, the prime minister, does like curvy women was a refreshing change of pace. Um, Yeah, I don't know. She dressed beautifully. Um, She was completely competent at her job. I, I think she took too much heat for... Very good at swearing. Yeah, she's very good at swearing. (laughs) I don't know. I lost track. (laughs) <laughs> what am I supposed to be thinking about? We'll go to Jim. Well, I, I've been thinking, you know, when I saw it, I remember thinking that it was another one of those things where it's like, look, a really attractive person can love somebody who's kind of normal too, and I hate that. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I just hate it. It's like because it, it's that whole god dang fraternity sorority mentality where somebody mm. who's beautiful will pluck somebody else and yes. it gives all the power to the to the beautiful, powerful person, and oh, isn't that lovely that they're stepping down? Bullshit. I, I yeah. hate that. I don't I think the film, that. I don't think the film was trying to imply, any, I don't think it was trying to have a power relationship, but it's hard to ignore the, a power relationship when yeah. it's the prime, prime minister. minister. I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is I, I don't feel like the film wanted to do that, but... Then he should have thought about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I also feel like there is the sort of the, there's the, uh, a double problem in that, um, it would be one thing if there was a a very curvy woman who was clearly overweight in any sort of technical, like, maybe it's unhealthy lifestyle yeah. changes, health diet. That would have been one story if she was overweight in any sort of acceptable version of, of what we mean by that word. But then there's the, that woman is not, that's a normal human woman. That woman is not overweight at all. Natalie's a bombshell. <clears throat> by any standard, she's a knockout. Right. And so the fact that she was being criticized didn't ring true. Yeah. In that sense for me. I feel like it's too bad because I feel like it, it that could have worked for a nice bit of sort of criticism mm-hmm. of people thinking that she was overweight and having the film really successfully say, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. You know, obviously the prime minister is super into her, which is great, but there isn't a solid argument that. She's not overweight. What the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that David decided to stand up to the American <laughs> president over a woman rather than national issues drove me nuts. Yeah. It's like, no, if you're going to make unequivocal statements like that, 
you should be doing it for your country, not because you're pissed that the president hit on your girlfriend. Yeah. Well, the other thing I like about those scenes when he's negotiating with the super sleazy president is mm-hmm. they're very careful not to even touch on what the issue might be. So I like to imagine, like, what are the actual political things they're discussing that mm-hmm. the president won't yield on? <laughs> Just some ridiculous thing mm-hmm. like, Britain, we need 400 cookies from you and we will not back down <laughs> yeah. on this. We don't want biscuits. We, we want, want cookies. Cookies. We want you to change the name of your biscuits to cookies. Uh, so we have no idea what that actually is about. Um, okay, so here's another one. Uh, and I think this one might have... Uh, I think this might relate to you, Jim. Uh, the timeline drives me crazy. It makes zero sense. So the kid finds out about the holiday talent show like a week before Christmas. Then he learns to play the drums. Then he is in the show playing the drums. Are there no other middle school children in all of London who already know how to play the drums? I mean, they wouldn't even have to be very good, just better than the kid who literally did not know how to play the drums one week ago. But love conquers all, I guess. I know who wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're, I do think even in romantic comedies and even in like whimsical fluff, and, and the Emma Thompson story was not, and, and neither was the Liam Neeson, and I did like those mm-hmm. much better. I still think you have to, either you have to flat out acknowledge that you're not going to work by the laws of, of time and gravity, <laughs> or you have to pay attention to that stuff, because I, I do remember just constantly being taken out of the story. It's like, but how could that happen? That would never happen. And I don't think I am a big pragmatist at all, but if, it, if you can't just create a fake world to move people around in, it has to be a real world. Where there are real consequences, then I'll and and it has to be. It, I think comedy has to be serious at heart. Right, it has to be. And I think a lot of the in a lot of these um, storylines, they didn't they didn't do it. They, he didn't take it seriously enough. Mm-hmm. He thought, well, I, I guess I the whole time I was watching, I thought the director was thinking, and I haven't seen the director's cut, so maybe, <laughs> maybe this is addressed. But I, I was I kept <clears throat> feeling like he was saying, oh, they won't notice, they won't notice. And it's like, no, I I did notice, and I'm upset. The, one of the weird things about the whole drumming thing to me is with the amount of things that are that are fake or come off fake to some people, mm-hmm. his actual drumming is some of the most realistic drumming I've ever seen filmed because I play the drums and usually when drumming is filmed, it has no, the actions have no relation to what you're actually hearing and his drumming is actually, he the sounds are correct for what he is actually doing. And he man- like manages to be emotive, that amazing kid, mm-hmm. while he's playing the drums. Hugh Jackman, who Hugh um, Grant Grant's cousin, by the way. It, oh, the little boy. Yes, <laughs> um, he actually did learn to play the drums. That really is him being recorded playing the drums. Excellent. Yeah. So, and when he raised his little finger, they actually paused. Aww. So yeah, it was pretty awesome. So I, I, I don't. I should watch the director's cut before. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, the commentary, yeah. I should yeah. say. But yeah, my yeah. On the most recent rewatch, uh, mm-hmm. Sarah and I very much enjoyed. There is that moment while he's playing the drums, and he's got the very emotive face where she, the singer, points at him. Yeah, that she, he is what she wants for Christmas, and he looks happy. And then she points to someone else, and just the look on his face is like one of the most psychotic looks I've ever seen from a child. It looks like everyone in the room is just going to burst into flames or like it's going to be a carry moment. <laughs> He's going to kill everyone there. See, that was not that unbelievable to me if he was learning the rhythm section for one song. Yeah. I, I could see someone learning the rhythm section for one song if they're really dedicated. Yeah. I like to imagine so. that he just like took some other kids out who could play the drums. <laughs> His father, we know from other films, is a trained killer. Then we should have, we should have seen like a pair of tennis shoes in the snow or something, you know, just to indicate the work, what he had to do to get there. I think that's in the director's cut. It probably. Yeah, I think it, I think it is. They don't call them tennis shoes. What do they call them? Runners. Uh, runners. Runners. Yeah. yeah. That's wrong. <laughs> that's probably something else he was debating with the president. Probably. Mm-hmm. You got to start calling things the same thing. Yeah. Um. So, big picture. Uh, why do you guys feel like the film elicits such strong opinions on either side? And do you think just the fact that it does elicit incredibly strong opinions makes it a good piece of art? I think part of it is it's set at Christmas, which is a very volatile time of year for a lot of people emotionally. So depending on where you're at, 
say, unhappily single, it could be like <laughs> rubbing salt in a gaping, bloody hole in your heart. Right. Um, but if you're in a better place, you're more open to um, seeing the good parts of the film. Although I do not believe that just because it's Christmas, is that's the time of year where you should tell everybody everything that's going on. I, I want to think that that's a little bit of a British thing, that there's a slight difference in the way that Christmas is handled, because there is a lot of that. Uh, Christmas is the time that we get cue cards out to tell our best friend's wife that we love them. Like, yeah. that, that's the time to express these things. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose in America, the time is never. So yeah. I suppose it's, <laughs> it's better that there's at least one time. So mm-hmm. way to go, Britain. Uh, what, what do you feel? Do you feel like just because something elicits a strong reaction, it makes it a good piece of art? Or do you still feel like, even though this film has stuck with you longer than other things, do you still think it's a bad piece of art? Um, I don't think it makes it a good piece of art. I think it makes it, I think it makes it, and it wasn't even provocative. That's, I didn't find it, you know, to, to like raise big questions, mm-hmm. at least for me it didn't. But then I was single and kind of miserable when I saw it. So, <laughs> you know, this was a, a long time ago. But uh, um, no, I don't think it's, I think that it's, I, th- I think it's an ambitious, flawed movie. But I don't think it's a great piece of art. I mean, so many of those stories just they and and, yeah. and and part of course, any reaction is is more of a it's more about me than about the movie. Yeah, love actually is a mirror. It is a mirror. <laughs> it's a cracked, dirty mirror <laughs> that, that nobody took the time to fix. Okay, I, I I forgot to ask about this. I wanted to ask specifically about the Bill Nighy uh, subplot. Not only is I think Bill Nighy's comedy the most successful, I think he's one of the best actors in the the film. But to me, that relationship that he realizes that he is closest to his manager of anybody else is one of the most powerful mm-hmm. and sort of helpful because it is about figuring out what is, what is true to yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's not objectifying. It is about, you know, being honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you like the Bill Nighy story, Jim? I did, Jim? very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, it, again, but that... I, it was sort of unexpected in a way, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought that he, I thought he played it. I, I felt like he he played it like an extreme person, but a real person. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I I bought it entirely, and I liked it. That's, that's all. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, Same here. I and he made his swearing poetry. I mean, it was oh, lyrical. Yes. His dialogue. Even while you were appalled by the things he was saying and doing, you couldn't look away. It was so compelling. To Jim's point, I think that's what was really successful about it is it felt honest. Mm -hmm. And I think Richard Curtis's writing at the best, done by a performer who really gets it, like Bill Mm -hmm. Nye, can feel sort of like, I'm saying these horrible things, but to me there's a sort of beauty in the horror because it's honest. Yeah. In this guy who is willing to be so honest about, I have entirely fucked up my life. And I would like to come on the radio and tell young people about it. Like, to me, there's something that is, you know, fractured and damaged in a beautiful way. And yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a part of the film uh, that I like. Uh, so I have some questions for you guys that are kind of inspired by the film, but more about yourselves. Um, so, Jody, starting with you, would you ever chase someone through an airport to tell them you love them? I would text them. <laughs> <laughs> Sprint, I've oh, sprinted but, through O'Hare before. It was the most <laughs> unpleasant experience of my life. I would not even do that for someone I love. I barely did it for a connecting flight. Would you do it to tell someone that you hated them? If someone was going to leave on an airplane and you didn't have their number to text and you were afraid mm. you'd never see them again, but you wanted to be able to look them in the face and go, I really dislike you, would you chase them through an airport? That I might do, actually, because that is a one-off. Whereas if it's love, you would move heaven and earth to see that person again. There would be other opportunities. Right. Whereas someone I hate it, not so much. Right. Nice. Okay, uh, Jim, what song would you dance around in your underwear to to celebrate? I do that all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I Well, I... You know, good for Joni Mitchell, but I, I'm a huge Carly Simon fan, as we all know. Yes. And um, it's not a good dancing song, but I, I play that song, um, The Right Thing to Do, all the time. I have this special version of it that, that was not released on, on albums I know. Wow. Yeah, How did you get it? Some guy in Pennsylvania had it, and I saw it on the internet, and I bought it. <laughs> okay. 
But I, I, that song, you know, when I when I feel happy or when I need to feel happy, I put that one on. And do, and do you dance? I move around. <laughs> All right. I love that distinction. <laughs> if you were... A, no, go ahead. No, it's because that's an honest song. You know, it's... I don't know if you know that song. I don't. Yeah, it, it, I think it's a beautiful song, and it's it's really simple. And but it, she has the ability to 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 write a very simple song with tremendous amounts of ambiguity in it. Okay, so I'll send you a copy. Is your movement ambiguous? No, my, my <laughs> movement is it's really private. <laughs> no one's ever going to see so that. So sometimes yeah. you put on Carly Simon and have a private movement. I do. <laughs> British. <laughs> Very British. Uh, Jody, mm-hmm. what language or languages would, would you be willing to learn for someone you love? I would learn any language for someone I love. But I would really, really, really hope that maybe they would speak German. <laughs> because I at least took that in high school. The, the, the learning curve would be a little shorter for me. The language of love. The language German. of love. Very guttural. <laughs> I'd be expectorating as I said. <laughs> Excellent. I'm learning. Uh, Jim, what song would you play at your funeral to most irritate your extended family? Oh, see, I already know what song I want to have played at my funeral. But I didn't do it to irritate. The song I want to, I want to have is um, Shenandoah. You know that one? Uh, oh, I feel like Shenandoah. I should. But yeah, it's that, yeah. It's that folk song. Okay, yes. Because I think I'm, I have a version of it. That, that it's, all, it's all written down. So if anything okay. happens, yeah, you guys know. Okay. Um, it's recorded on the podcast now. Yeah. Irritate my family. Um, my family's not a terribly musical family. You know, we don't we didn't talk about music a lot, but I do have a copy of um, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Bands. Will the circle be unbroken? And I I love I love bluegrass and I love yeah. kind of country gospel stuff. And um, I used to play that all the time, and it it did finally. My mom said, "You got to turn that thing off." Um, <laughs> so the so circle was broken. The circle was broken. So I'd either do that or. My mom hates Joni Mitchell. She, mm. My sister had that album, and, she, my, my, um, and I had it too because I had uh-huh. to be a true fan. You have to have a complete set. But uh, she would just, my mom would imitate Joni Mitchell with that kind of sound. <laughs> so um, I think if I played Woman of Heart and Mind, that would just, my mom would say, well, thank God he's gone because I can't listen to that anymore. So, Will the Circle Be Unbroken is uh, it's used, a Carter family song. It's yeah. used in the video game Bioshock Infinite. Seriously? Whoa. Yeah. So it's used in pretty emotive way as a part of the storytelling. So if I was at your funeral, which I never want to be, uh, not because I want you to live forever, oh, uh, is like if I heard that song, I would think about Bioshock. <laughs> My thumbs would start moving against their will. That's good. I mean, it's a really, I think it's a, it's a great, it's, it's a great beautiful. Song. Yeah. yeah. It is a beautiful, powerful song. Um, so, Jody, is there a specific musician who taught you to love? Bon Jovi, perhaps? <laughs> this is, oh, God. This is, like, embarrassing. I really like John Denver. There's nothing embarrassing about that. I mean, Annie's song? I want someone to feel like that about me. Yeah. Uh, Jim's partner, Dennis, did a whole show about John Denver, mm-hmm. like, a year ago. Yeah. And it oh, was... Wow. A huge awakening moment for me because I kind of hated John Denver. Uh, well, my my yeah. father used to play the the country boy song, and I don't oh. like that one. That's just straight up like jingoistic. Yeah. If if you don't like to make <laughs> pancakes in the woods, you're not <laughs> yeah. American. Sort of bullshit. I, I, yeah, I don't like that one. But every other song, I okay. I, I think his sincerity is refreshing in our sort yes. of ironic. Day and age. We'll exchange yes. information and I'll, I'll, um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get you a... You bought something off the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I can, well, I can, yeah, right, yeah. No, but I'll get you um, his, mm-hmm. his CD. He recorded it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, That'd be was, great. That was a beautiful show. Okay, so Jim, who or what would you jump into a pond for? Mm-hmm. Um, well, to, to, to save my family from massacre, I would do that. Um, <laughs> Your whole family was thrown <laughs> in a little British pond. I, I would jump in a pond for a laugh, you know. Excellent. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you guys have any sort of final thoughts about Love Actually? Anything, any uh, tropes or plots or characters that we didn't cover that you want to cover? I, I did not like the Laura Linney 
Oh, yeah, we didn't bring up the Laura Linney story yeah, at all. Yeah, the Sarah Carl thing. Yeah, again, it was a, a person. Laura Linney's beautiful, but it mm-hmm. was another kind of normal person paired up with this gorgeous person. Mm-hmm. And that bothered me. Although I think, although they did make it seem like she realized that he was kind of, I don't know, out of her league or whatever. I hate even those ter- that terminology. And yeah. and I did, and I loved the fact that she took care of her brother. I thought that mm-hmm. was great. Mm-hmm. But that seemed like a problem that they could have solved by just saying, you know, she could have. They could have had just a really an important conversation that would have allowed her to love him and take care of her brother at the same time. Yeah. And that's what love is about. I mean, despite how good he looked in his boxer briefs, Carl appeared very shallow to me yeah. because he was her colleague for how many years? He knew that she took care of her brother. She was always answering the phone to, to talk to him. And he wasn't willing to talk or wait or compromise. Right. He just sort of gave up because he thought, oh, this is too complicated. Or Yeah, I think it's a moment of ambiguity in the film because to me it always yeah. seems like she has sort of dismissed him in whether or not she's doing it because she is genuinely not interested because he was insensitive mm-hmm. about the brother or mm-hmm. if it's she's doing it just because she wants all of her focus on the brother I don't know to me it's a, a nice moment of ambiguity I thought that was yeah. a really powerful part of the story it seemed realistic to me that it just didn't work out but it made me sad it, it, yeah it did seem it didn't seem like it worked out but to me it didn't seem like it worked out because he was a he was a doof you know yeah it did seem as though yeah that mm-hmm Yeah, I think it does bug people because it does seem like emotionally it feels very real and ambiguous in in some of the things that we're saying we we want from the film. But it also, on a sort of practical level, is like, there's got to be a way around this. Yeah, it seemed like a false problem. Yeah. If they really, if it had been this long, if if she really cared and if he really cared, and maybe that's the ambiguity, maybe that's what makes it Yeah, that Carl just doesn't care. Yeah, it's like, "Mm." But they could have worked it out. Yeah. Come on, Carl. Yeah. Step up, fucker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is this is a, a a weird thing to ask, but I'm enjoying asking it on the podcast. Could you guys each make a noise that sums up your feelings about love? Actually, oh, <laughs> perfect. Now I can mix those together into like a dance beat techno track, <laughs> and then Jim can move to it. Yeah, I will. <laughs> ah, uh, ah, uh. <laughs> We can all have our own private movements. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, I'm going to wrap up the podcast with the uh, final pompous questions that we always end with. Uh, Jody, what does your favorite book smell like? Just a touch of mold, which shocks me to my core. But <laughs> but the paper dust and a little bit of tea, because I actually spilled on it. <laughs> and what what is the book? Um, It is one of... The original hardcover versions of the Lord of the Rings. Wow. So. I love asking these asshole pompous questions because every once in a while somebody has a direct real answer. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. Well, I'm a librarian. Uh, Jim, if you could turn into an animal anytime you wanted, what animal would you turn into? Um, I think it would have, this is so cliche, it had to be a bird because I think it'd be totally bitching to fly. You know? <laughs> would you just fly away at awkward if awkward situations were developing. Yeah. I mean, I would be totally <laughs> alone. You know? Yeah. I love the visual of that. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody cornering yeah, right. you at a party and just like, I'm, I have to go. Yeah. You fly away. Uh, Jody, if you could shoot something out of your hands, what would it be? Uh, 44 Magnum bullets. <laughs> also very practical and direct. I'm thinking mayonnaise. <laughs> mayonnaise bullets. If you you could shoot mayonnaise with the force of bullet came out. Uh, Jim, if you could force the whole world to think one word all at the same time, what would that one word be? Stop. <laughs> I know that's an improviser, that's a terrible thing to say, but I think if we just stopped for a second, a lot of this nonsense would, would stop. I think that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So then we it, it, it makes sense of your life perspective of if we all stopped, then you could address the ambiguity yeah. of what comes after the you know, stopping. we got, we got to find a way. To, yeah, the, I mean, the bees are dying. Everything, you know, ecologically, we're just screwing mm-hmm. ourselves. And if we just, myself included, if we just stopped. Mm-hmm. Just Excellent. Consider the turtlenecks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is the final question for everyone on the podcast. Jody, what is happiness? 
Happiness is a sense of peace. Excellent. Jim, what is happiness? Well, I, I remember I answered this once before, yes. but um, but I just kind of can I stick by it? Sure. I mean, it's just it's having everybody you love under the same roof, you know, at night when everyone's sleeping. Because <laughs> I, I do, I think that's perfect. And I also, I'm going to add to this, and I said this once at work, and the woman said to me, you are so sad. <laughs> but I think happiness is a, is a real sense of relief. Like when the thing that you're worried about doesn't happen, or when the person you're concerned mm-hmm. about shows up. Right. You know, that's, and maybe that's one of the things about this movie that I did like, was mm-hmm. seeing people get off the plane the end and the beginning of the end because there yeah. is something about you know when things go the way they that you expect them to go mm-hmm. or, or you know what when they when they actually work and so all the things that that you might have been imagining in your head when they don't come true that's a great thing that's awesome mm-hmm. so thank you guys very much that's our podcast thank you thanks You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed.